as you read through this book, it's just this steady uh, rhythm of, of prayers made, uh, prayers answered. Prayers made and prayers answered. And as you read this book, you, you come away with this striking uh, awe of God that He answers prayer. That, that God doesn't just hear our prayers, but rather He answers our prayers. One author wrote, prayer is an ordinary means to accomplish supernatural ends. Prayer is an ordinary means whereby God enters into our life and does supernatural things. And for the local church, prayer is essential. Prayer is the means by which God enters in and does supernatural things in the life of God's people. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul records two grand prayers. Really, the, the book is centered much around these prayers. And this morning, our hope is to look at one of these prayers that Paul prays. In this letter, Paul reminds the church of the rich blessings that are ours in Christ. He, he tells us about this wonderful and mysterious work that God has done through Christ in, in uniting a racially divided people into one body, the church. About how God would take one particular people, the Jews, and, and through the Jews bring a Messiah who would then unite all nations, all tribes, and all tongues into one unified body, the church. And Paul desires for them to know this God. He desires for them to, to be able to grasp the, the beauty and the wonder of what God has done in Christ. And so he asks and leads them in prayer. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the it is right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The point of this passage, and what I hope will be the point of this sermon is that Christians are to grow in their knowledge of God by praying to the Father through the Son so that God would give them the ability by His Spirit to grasp, to grab hold of, to, to hold on to His eternal power and rich gifts given to them in Christ. Paul wants you this morning to be able to grab hold of God's glorious work in Christ and to be able to know those things 
and live in light of those things. So this morning, we're just going to look briefly at three things. First, Paul's motivation in prayer. Second, we're going to look at just the petition itself. What, what is he praying for? And then finally, if time permits, we'll consider those last few verses, his confession. His confession. First, look with me at his motive. Look what motivated Paul to pray. First, in verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Why does he pray? Why does Paul pray? What, why? Have all the, I mean, just sit and imagine for a minute. Paul is sitting down writing a letter to a church, a, a, perhaps a new church, a, a collection of churches uh, there in the outskirts of Ephesus. He's writing to this church. And of all the things Paul could write about, all the things about the glories of Christ that he could share, he takes time and he prays for them. He prays for them. Why? Why, Paul, of all the things you could tell us, why do you give us this prayer? Why did the Holy Spirit see it fit to inspire Paul to pen these words? Because prayer is vital to sustaining the local church. Prayer is essential to sustaining God's people. So that in Him, that we are built together into a dwelling place for God. And so Paul turns and, and, and calls out to this triune God as he prays to the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. God alone, we see in this passage, is, is the source of our knowledge. And so we must go to him for knowledge. This is contrary to much of what the world thinks. Much of the world thinks that knowledge is something that can be attained through individual effort or through community education. But here, Paul says that knowledge of God must come from God. We can't make our way to God in the world. Oftentimes, Christians paint this picture as if they're on this journey and they just discover God. As if, you know, they just are searching for God. The Bible paints a different picture. It says, rather, God is revealing himself to man. That we aren't searching for him. In fact, the Bible says exact opposite of what we do. If you turn just over to chapter 2 and verse 1, notice what Paul says, what our position is before Christ. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There he, he outlines that we were walking in sin. That we weren't running around, journeying through life, trying to figure God out. Rather, we were walking contrary to God, and in His grace, He reveals Himself to us. Paul is giving us this beautiful picture that the knowledge of God comes through prayer. And that God is gracious to give us this knowledge. That, that God, in His infinite grace, will reveal Himself to us if we seek Him in prayer. We need prayer. Prayer is essential. It, not only do we need prayer, Paul outlines that we need knowledge. That we need to grow in knowledge. That, that when we come to know Christ, that we're to grow in that knowledge of Christ. That we don't just simply uh, have an elementary view of Christ, but that we continue to grow in our knowledge of Him. 
that, that God would enlighten us and grow our knowledge. That's why he prays. I, I want your eyes to be enlightened. That God would open your eyes, in verse 18 he says. That's what I, I, want you, I want God to turn lights on for you. I want you to see all the beauty and the splendor of Christ. I, w- I want you to be able to grab hold of it and, and see it and, and know more of it. Paul prays that they would have spiritual eyes to see the beauty and wonder of Christ. That their eyes would be enlightened. That the, the eyes of their heart would be able to see Oh, brothers and sisters, we, we oftentimes have calluses on our hearts that, that prevent us from seeing the beauty of Christ. That present, prevent us from seeing the wonder and the glory of Christ. And so we should plead with God that He would in His infinite grace give us eyes to see. We would see and appreciate the beauty of Christ. Why do we need to grow in knowledge? Why knowledge? Why doesn't Paul pray that they would obey? Why doesn't he pray for them and say, you know, I wish this church would obey me, obey God. I, I, I pray that this church would grow in obedience. Or grow in unity. He doesn't pray that. This letter's about unity, but interestingly enough, he doesn't pray for unity. Why? Because knowledge of God leads to obedience. When when we grow in our knowledge of God, so grows our worship of God. And when our worship of God grows, so our obedience of God. As we'll see in a moment, Paul's theological points that he's making in these prayers and in these other statements, all of them flow into a transformed life. We are transformed by knowledge. And so Paul prays for their knowledge to grow. Christians continue to grow in their knowledge. I want you to see that that, that we are to grow, that, that we are not to remain stagnant in our knowledge of God. Do not consider it normal for you to have the same knowledge of God that you had last year. Consider that abnormal in your life to to remain the same level of knowledge of God. We see clearly that growth is a part of the Christian life, in particular growth in knowledge. We've seen the overarching purpose of Paul's prayer. Now, I just want to, really the meat of this comes in what he prays for. What he prays for. That's what we really want to focus on is Paul's petition. If you just, you have your Bibles open, it's really really quite simple if you're reading from the ESV or from the NIV really most translations does this very well look with me in verse 18 Paul prays that having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know all right now here's what I want you to do I want you to look for these words what is all right he's going to say it three times and these these are like little content he's just kind of holding together what he's praying for he's praying for three things Three specific things. Paul doesn't want their knowledge just to grow in general ways. There's three specific things that Paul's praying in this passage that they grow in. First, what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Three things Paul prays for. First, that you would know your position in Christ. 
that you would know your position. Secondly, that you would know your possession. That is, that you are possessed by God, that, that God owns you, not possessed like demon-possessed. And then thirdly, that you would know his power. First, that you would know your position. He says, what is the hope to which he has called you? Now, as you read through that, you might have in your brain, because you're used to, if you're familiar with the New Testament, oftentimes it ta- it's referring to our call in Christ. Oftentimes, we, the way we, we talk about being called by God, we, we use it in a way that we reference it as ours. It's our calling. We, we've been called. But what the emphasis here that Paul is trying to get us to understand is that God has called you. That God has called you out of darkness into light. That's what he wants you to see. That's what he's praying. I want you to know what your position is in Christ. Now, he uses a very particular word, called. And for us, we just say, oh, like God called me up on the phone or he sent me a text message. God called me. That's not what he's, what he's trying to communicate here. Paul is making a very provocative statement. Very provocative. He is connecting these Gentile believers to Abraham. And that one little word, Paul is connecting together God's eternal purposes of saving a people for himself. And he's saying, hey, you Gentiles are part of that plan. From eternity past, God purposed to save the nations through a particular people for his glory. And so when we see this, this radical union is being displayed. He wants you to know that he has united you into his plan and purposes of salvation. He has called you into his plan. Now, perhaps you're not familiar. You, you know, for us this it kind of feels distant, weird. Uh, we don't really know. Like the, It doesn't strike us the way it have really sh- struck them. I mean, for them, Jews and Gentiles just wouldn't be hanging out together. They wouldn't have been having conversations together. They, this, this, this was really a tense moment in the life of God's people. Centuries of racial divide. Centuries of segregation. And in a moment, God destroys it. In a moment... God annihilates it. Look with me in chapter 2 and verse 11. I think Paul here paints probably the, the most vivid picture of separation that we as Gentiles face. He says, therefore remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by those, by what is called the circumcision. That is, you, uh, that's like a bad word, if you will. You were the uncircumcised. You, you weren't that great. You were looked down upon. You were, cut, you were separated. He, verse 12, remember, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. I mean, what a bleak picture this is. You were separated, you were alienated, you, you were nothing, you had no hope and no God. You were helpless apart from God's purposes in Christ. And Paul wants us to know that. He wants us to remember that. He wants, to, he wants us to, this morning to grab hold of the fact that he called us. That we didn't call him. 
Why is this hope? Why, why does he say that this, this is hopeful? Why does he want us to grow in the hope of God's calling? Because he wants you to know that your salvation is God's work from beginning to end. That your salvation in Christ is not dependent upon your personal performance. Brothers and sisters, that is the most glorious news you'll hear today. That your relationship with the eternal God of the universe is dependent upon Christ alone. And upon his eternal purposes. And not in the the ebb and flow of your life. That is good news. That God in his grace calls us out of darkness into light. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, I want to remind you that you have no hope apart from Christ. Because this eternal God created each one of us, we are responsible to him. He has authority over our lives. But yet, because of sin, we rebel against God, choosing to live life how we want to live it, rather than how God wants us to live it. This is what the Bible calls sin. Living life your own way, contrary to God's way. And every one of us is guilty of that. Every one of us has gone our own way. Every one of us, as Paul said, is dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world. Following the prince, the power, the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, apart from Christ, we are counted among the disobedient. And if you are not in Christ this morning, I want you to know that God in his eternal purposes sent his only son to die for sinners. That Jesus Christ, who is both fully God and fully man, he lived a perfect life. He lived the life you and I should have. And he died the death we deserved as a substitute for our sin so that all those who would believe in him and turn from their sins could be saved. Brothers and sisters, this is God's work from beginning to end, and he has graciously invited us into it. You are a part of God's eternal purposes. He's called you. He's called you. And as we grow in this knowledge, it only only grows our humility. Humility in Christ, growing to humble ourselves. It provides further hope by reminding us that our faith doesn't rest in ourselves, but in Christ. And as a result, we put our faith in God's promises, in His future grace. That's where our hope is, is in the promise of God that He called us. We don't look at ourselves, we don't look at our, our lives, we, we look at Christ and His glory. There. There we put our hope. Paul also prays that we would grow in our knowledge of the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Paul wants you to grow in your knowledge. He wants us to grow in the knowledge that we are possessed by God. I want you to again, I want you to look at what he says. Not what are, what are our riches in Christ. Look at verse 18. He's very clear. 
what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Again, if you're familiar with reading the Bible, you're going you're gonna to kind of stumble through this and not... This is, this is really not normal language, especially if you've just read the beginning of chapter 1 where he talks about all of these rich blessings in Christ. And then in chapter 2, he, he used that word again to talk about our rich blessings in Christ. But here, here, notice what he says. He says, no, I want you to know what are the riches of God's glorious inheritance. God's glory. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are God's glorious inheritance. You are God's glorious inheritance. You could could look at it this way. God has reigned victorious over the prince of the power of this world, and you are his prize. You are his victory pride. You are his glorious inheritance for the victory which he's won. That's you this morning. God owns us. That is wonderful. That is mag- that's, that's amazing. We are his glorious inheritance because of his purpose of redemption. We're his. And this is why we sing in Christ alone. That's why when we sing the song, we sing and he stands in victory. Sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his, and he is mine, bought with the blood of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we are his. We are his. Both of these glorious things are God's, and he has given them to us. He's inviting us into this glorious relationship with him. And I wonder... Do you believe this? Do you believe that God possesses you? That, that you're His? That, that He would say that you are His glorious inheritance? Perhaps you're a Christian this morning and, and because of sin in your life, you, you really you don't feel very wanted by God. Perhaps Satan has deceived you into believing that God, because of your sin, because of your disobedience, doesn't want you anymore. Doesn't love you anymore. Doesn't care for you anymore. That that, that His grace isn't sufficient to save you from that sin. Oh, it can save you from a lot of sins, but, but not that sin. Friend, I want to remind you this morning that God's grace is sufficient to save you from all sin. And... That if in Christ, you are his glorious inheritance. And he holds you up as the church before the prince of the power of the air. And he says, they are mine. You can't have them. They are my inheritance. And he works this in your life. Brothers and sisters, let me assure you of this grand truth. That God wants a relationship with you through Christ. Look finally at verse 19. He prays that we would know the power of God. That we would know the power of God. It says in verse 19, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His great might? I love this. Tom Schreiner, and I think it's in the ESV study Bible. 
if you have a study Bible, he, he uses this phrase. I love it. He, he says, Paul piles up the power words. I think that was just a great way to phrase it. That's what he does here. Look what he does. He, he piles up these power words. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? All of those words are pretty much all saying the same thing. Now, Paul is, is trying to grasp at God's power. He's trying to get a hold on God's power. That's why he prays that you would know it. Because it, God's power is infinite. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's limitless. And, and Paul wants you to know just a little bit of it this morning. And so he piles up these power words. And the emphasis here in this passage is God's power toward us who believe. Not just God's power over the universe, but specifically God's power working in our lives. The power of God that is working in our midst. The power of God that raises dead people to life. The power of God that calls sinners out of sin into light. This is what God wants you to know. Why power? Why does he pray for power? Well, in, verse, in chapter 6, verse 10, he tells us, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might, putting on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, he wants you to know the power of God because there are powers out there that want you to believe they're more powerful than God. He wants you to know more the power of God because there is very evil spirits in your life. Satan is real. The Bible says so. Evil is real. The Bible says so. And if we are not prayed up in the power of God, we will go into battle ill-prepared. And most likely fail. And so Paul prays that we would grow in our knowledge of him. That we would grow in the knowledge of God's power. That we would be assured that if God is for us, who can be against us? That God's power will not fail us. How can we know that God's glorious glorious purposes in Christ will not fail? How do we know that this whole salvation thing is really going to work out? How do we know that that we're going to get there? How do we know that we'll arrive? How do we know that any of this is going to work out? Because of the power of God. Because God's power is limitless. God's power is infinite. And his power isn't just working out in everyone else's life. It's working in your life, he says. The power of God is available for you this morning. It's available for each one of us. Do you believe that God is all-powerful? Do, do your worries and your anxieties betray that belief? Do you worry about little things that don't matter? Are you anxious about everything in life? Friends, if we believe in an all-powerful God, then we believe in an all-sovereign God who is sovereign over all things. And not one thing happens in our life that is not purposed by an eternally powerful God. Brothers and sisters, may this congregation know the power of God. May you know it. And not be fearful of a changing world around you. But rather know that God is supreme. That he has authority. 
Paul has prayed that their knowledge would increase in these ways. And he concludes with these three verses demonstrating the answer to one question. Yeah, so what? Is it all possible? This power of God, this knowledge of God, can it really do anything? Is God really all that powerful in my life? You say that, but is it true? Is it true that God is powerful? And what is this power that's working? Well, he tells us in verse 20, and we'll conclude with these words, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave to him his head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God says this, the power of God that worked to raise Christ from the dead is the power that is working in your life. The power of God that worked in Christ and worked victory in Christ over all powers. There is not one power, he says, that is more powerful than God. There's no one that has more authority than God. No one that has a bigger kingdom than God. And if that is the truth, and it is, then that's the power that's working in your life and in my life. This radically transforms everything in our life. Radically transforms the way we live, the way we think. If God is supreme over all things and he is all powerful, then nothing, as Jesus said, is impossible for God. No sin. No sin has you chained so much that you cannot be freed by God. No circumstance of your life is impossible for God. God is all-powerful. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you see this morning that we are to grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you would give yourself to praying these prayers. There's nothing better than, than this week just incorporating these three things into your life. Just turn them over in your mind this week. Pray, God, I want to know more of your calling. I want to know what that means more. I want, I want to appreciate that more. I want to be able to grasp what that means. Father, I want, I want to know what it means that, that I am yours. Because I don't feel like I'm yours. I feel like I'm Satan's and he just uses me and abuses me. I don't feel very loved. Father, let me know what it, let me know your love this week. Father. Father, you don't know what it's like to work for the boss I have. You know what it's like in my life, the circumstance. I just feel like uh, it's an in and out tide of, of changing circumstances. Father, let me know your power this week. Father, give me knowledge of your power. Let me know it and see it in my life and believe that you are all powerful. These are the prayers we can offer this week and give ourselves to know God.
May we give ourselves in such lofty prayers. May we turn our hearts and attentions to these things. May, may you as a congregation lift these kind of prayers. God's power would be made known. May you give yourself in total dependency to him. Depending upon Christ alone. And not on yourself. In the Institutes, Calvin calls prayer the chief exercise of faith by which we daily receive God's benefits. Ordinary means by which God accomplishes eternal things. May you daily receive these, ble- these rich blessings in Christ. May you daily grasp at them to grow in the knowledge of them. That God may work in your life for his great glory and our eternal good. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that is in Christ. Father, we pray this morning that we might grow in our knowledge. As Paul prayed for these Ephesians, may that be our prayer this morning. Father, we need to know you. Our knowledge of you, of the infinite, is so limited. And Father, I just pray that you would give us just a small drop of your knowledge. That, that our minds would expand into the eternal. That we would grow to grasp the glory of Christ. Father, I pray for the brother or sister this morning that the struggling with sin. Father, I pray that they would know they would know the grace that is in Christ. That they would know this calling that you have called us out of darkness into your glorious light. That you have united us together into one body. That you've saved us. Father, may we know the power of the cross. That the power of Christ is sufficient to save even the worst of sinners. That the power of the cross is sufficient to unite racially divided people. Economically divided people, uh, socio, there's nothing that can prevent your power from working in our lives. We pray this for your glory. Amen.